everyone. Welcome. We are most happy and excited today because for the first time we will have our very own Dr. Carl Moore, who is part of our interview council. And I like that word. I think I got that word from here, from him. Yeah, interview council. And so today, welcome to Freedom International live stream. We have Dr. Moore as our featured guest. To, to us, he is a physicist, a homeopath, a writer, a friend, and, and a writer and an author. And as an author, he has written the book, Nature's Twist, Water and the Spirals of Life. And in physics, he has specialized also in developing optical instrumentation to measure the interaction of light and water. And he has worked on projects such as calibrating ocean color satellites to developing underwater imaging systems at the Scripps Institute of Oceanography, University, California for nearly a decade. And he's also a licensed um, and registered homeopath. So with a lot of um, um, background and knowledge and wisdom of Dr. Carl Moore, it's not easy to find one person, especially in the science world, who can connect and relate to you and have a conversation of what's happening below and what's happening above. So welcome, Dr. Carl Moore. Thank you very much, Grace. Thank you all. I'm delighted to be here. I'm on the receiving end today. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I, I suppose, I mean, uh, the title is quite broad, In Search of the True Reality. And uh, so where do you peck away at it? Um, I suppose uh, we've heard that reality is a simulation. So perhaps that's a good place to start. Um, so one of the interesting things is, uh, for example, if I can bring you on a kind of a journey, if you go out, and maybe I'm recounting my own uh, expedition going out into the desert and trying to get as far away from city lights as possible in the southwest of the United States on a moonless night. And you look up and there's this panoply of scar stars. And the light from each of those stars and galaxies has taken different amounts of times. Sometimes, like the Andromeda galaxy, 2.2 million years. So the mm -hmm. photons hitting my eye when I look up is hitting my eye at the same time light from a nearby star, maybe, you know, 10 light years away is hitting it at the same time. But they're photons from much, much further away in time. The whole thing falls apart. This idea of time is not the reliable thing that we once thought it was. So on the other end of the scale, if you go right down to particles, molecules, atoms, fundamental particles, they don't become particles, they become diffuse and nebulous, they become fuzzy. And once again, this idea of space and time breaks down. So at either end of the spectrum, at the very small scale, and at the cosmological, astronomically huge scale, space and time don't mean anything. They don't have the same bearing as they do uh, on planet Earth. So that just shows you how uh, um, the very fact that we live in a world that is dictated by time, and yet nature, the whole cosmos, is based on something completely different. 
the reality of it is, is that we have all time right now. When you go into those stars, you're experiencing all time from right, <clears throat> from all the way back, from right to the beginning. We're experiencing it now. Then there's other things, for example, <clears throat> There's these certain scalar laws or laws, scale, scaling laws. Um, for example, um, I think in 1932, Max Keibler, he um, plotted metabolic rate with the size of the animal or an animal. And he was able to, it became a linear, a linear plot, meaning that um, the more complex and the higher the metabolic rate, uh, uh, excuse, yeah, uh, there was this one-to-one -one relationship. It was a three-quarter uh, uh, law. I'm not explaining that right. That's the slope of it. I'm getting too technical already. But there was a relationship so that, in other words, if the cells in an elephant would be more, would use less energy than the cells in an ant because um, the metabolic rate, the metabolic rate would slow down the larger the animal. That's what I'm trying to say. And he was able to plot all the species and it came out this wonderful line. <clears throat> and then more lately, there's uh, jo Jeffrey West. Um, and what he noticed was, is like in cities where, um, where you double the size of a city, you get a 15% increase in uh, uh, efficiency, uh, um, um, in terms of, uh, you also get uh, more patents, 15% more patents, 15% uh, more policemen, but you also get 15% more crime, 15% more uh, 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 other, other aspects like that. So that was, that was also one of these scalar laws. Um, and then he also did another experiment, and this goes more into a fact, fractal realm. He was able to take a tree, a single tree, and because of its fractal nature, measuring uh, the canopy height, the way the branches uh, divided, uh, the, the, the width of the diameter of the trunk. From that one specimen, he was able to predict characteristics about the whole forest, including its carbon uptake, and its, uh, its oxygen release, uh, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So you get these wonderful mathematical relations in nature. You also get things like the golden ratio and the platonic solids. And these things are mathematical wonders, particularly the golden ratio. Um, and that's, that's a number. And I don't know if you're familiar with it, but the definition is that if you take a, a, a length and you divide it in terms of the golden ratio, uh, it's not equal. The longer length divided by the whole length is equal to the smaller length divided by the other remaining length. That might be confusing. Um, the number is 1.618, and it goes on 10 more decimal points that I can't remember. But if, but if you do a simple thing with the calculator and you take the reciprocal of that, you divide, you, you go one divided by the golden ratio, 1.1, uh, excuse me, one divided by 1.618, you get 0 0.618. If you get one, the golden ratio again, 1.618, and you, you square it, multiply it by itself, you get 2.618. And the decimal point on the, on, 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 on the right of the decimal point 
it's exactly the same all the way out, all the decimal point, all, all, all the numbers. No other number does that. So that kind of hints at its ability uh, to be able to transfer information from one scale to the other. Um, anyway, you get these. So it would seem that nature or this reality is a simulation. For a long time, I didn't want to accept that. Um, but then in my own discovery, what I've been saying is, and, and when I say my own discovery, a discovery for myself, this is, this is ancient knowledge, that everything uh, seems to come from a potential source, a timeless realm. And it comes out into this world. It manifests into space and time in forms of polarities, uh, good and bad. Um, that's subjective. Uh, you, you know, positron, electron. You, you get all these polarities that come out, summer, winter, um, etc. So when you get... So th this whole realm seems to be uh, a way in which the, this potential expresses itself in this realm, but it does it through mathematics. And so there's certain, I, I know there's, there's certain people who say they look at this and they can see a code in nature. There's numbers there. It must be a simulation. Well, yeah, I can agree with that. It is a simulation, but I never really put it in those terms as a simulation. I just thought it was an expression <clears throat> of, of let's say this potential, the Godhead, the source of everything. Um, so this is a simulation and we're a part of it. And we're, we have a part to play in this because we guide that potential energy as it expresses itself into this world. We're co-creators. So yeah, it's a simulation and we're protagonists in this, in this world. Thanks, Carl. Thank, yeah. thank you for sharing that. And it's a great opening from you. Because um, so in for our ordinary life, meaning our day-to-day -day life, and then what's happening now last year, and you know. How important is it for us to search for that true reality? The, the reality, just how you have described it. Because when I could hear from you as well, is that if it, it seems like every one's reality will be unique to our own individual you know, expressions, because as you said, that was your discovery. And then I guess, so how important is that and and how do how can one know that it is their true reality yeah that's an excellent question and yeah because the thing is is a lot of people believe they create their own reality well that's their interpretation of reality which is unique to them and it's and it's based on their experiences and it can be based on uh, yeah, but then again, what is the true reality? And I've been trying to get at that myself um, because there's something shared. There's this common thing with, 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 with everything in the universe, even down to the fundamental particles. There's, it, then we get into the entangled realm, the quantum realm. Uh, so 
is that the true reality? Is our essence our true reality? You know, so in the simulation, do we lose con contact? Do we lose connection with that reality, which I'm referring to as the true reality? And I'm sort of explaining this true reality. I sort of see it as something that can be tapped into or accessed if we're aligned. This is this is what I feel because it because everything in, in nature seems to be uh, uh, vibration and energy. And with vibration and energy, you get resonance. So things can be with resonance, things can be pulled attraction or, or they can be repulsed. Everything's vibration. But there's also um, coherence where the vibration starts to entrain other things. And you can also, uh, uh, that's a way of connecting. Um, you know, the HeartMath Institute, they talk about the connection between the mind and the heart. And if we're upset or, or somehow disturbed, the, there's no coherence in our body and we're all kind of frustrated and, and we, we can't really see clearly. But if we meditate and we breathe and get everything into a state of coherence where the heart is in, is in synchronicity with everything or everything else in our body is in synchronicity with the heart, then we reach a stage of, of coherence. And that seems to be connected with higher knowledge, uh, connecting to a deeper level of oneself and to the cosmos. Because ultimately, everything is consciousness. This is a universe of consciousness. Everything is aware. Um, well, not everything is aware, but everything is consciousness. Self-awareness is, is, is perhaps something else. I think about these things, and sometimes you get lost in the syntax, or actually the definitions of it, like what is the difference between awareness and consciousness? Consciousness, if you, you dissect it, the Latin is con with skio, uh, to know, to have knowledge of. To, so that's that'd be closer to self-awareness. Awareness could be at the other end of the spectrum where um, it's almost like a response. You could have a chemical response to something. You do something, uh, you know, you throw a stone and you knock another stone. Uh, is there awareness in that? Uh, probably not, but there's an effect. Uh, so awareness and consciousness, all these things seem to partake in something beyond us, something outside of our physical selves. Um, so, so there is, there is, there is a way, there is a way to connect, and, and this is through co coherence. And nature, and nature does that. It finds moments of coherence. Um, it always tries to find the lowest energy state. Uh, water does that. It always tries to find the lowest energy state. Um, and that that's a whole other subject in itself. But it, it's even the basis of, of free energy machines is to reach a coherent state in which it's able to tap into the uh, um, this uh, the source, this, uh, what do you call it, the electromagnetic, uh, electrodynamics, it's the, the quantum field. Uh, which is a reservoir of, en of energy. Um, some people estimate it to be like cubic centimeter uh, of this quantum field is enough to boil all the oceans uh, uh, on the planet Earth. Uh, now, whether that calculation is correct or not, it shows that it has a huge, a huge amount of potential that we can access. And it seems to be a potential that's unformed. So 
the way the way the way I see it, I suppose, is if you go backwards or, or if you go to smaller and smaller scales, you you start to get closer to the quantum realm where you have particles, uh, you know, your protons and your electrons and all that quarks. But then you get things called virtual particles, which can appear and disappear uh, within the probability of them existing. So there's this there's this dance. It's like um, if you ever look across the ocean, this is what I imagine, and you see the ripples, you see the ripples on the ocean. I imagine that like the quantum field. It's it's percolating all the time there with energy, itching to do something, ready to come out. But below that, if you go into the ocean itself, um, in this in this explanation, you're going back to the source. It's a quiet, still place of nothingness. There's no differentiation. It's just pure potential yet to be manifest. So I, that's just that's just incredible. So if we're able to tap into that, and, and I believe we are, and, and in fact, our DNA is connected to that. Our DNA um, through torsion fields is another subject I can get into, and that has to do with spin. Um, our DNA is like a fractal antenna. And it also is able to connect with that, with that realm. So we 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 are powered from the from the quantum realm directly, even through water, uh, through things called coherent domains. Um, whereas an assembly of a million molecules, water molecules, will start to oscillate in unison together, and because they're all working together in harmony, they drop into a lower energy state. When they drop into a lower energy state. They can take on, they can take in energy. Um, but how do, the, how do these, how, how, does, how does this quantum, um, this coherent domain, as it's called, made up of millions of molecules, it forms directly because of quantum fluctuations. If there's a, if there's a right number of molecules and the right, the right conditions, this will happen. You get these domains in water, at room temperature water, that spontaneously form. Uh, and a lot of not, this is known uh, because it's a more recent discovery. Um, and, and I'm kind of going off tangent here, but it's all connected because I gave a big title, The True Reality. I can go anywhere with this. Uh, water is, um, yeah, it, it taps into this. It's, it's, for a long time, they just thought water was a simple molecule, an oxygen and two hydrogens. And that your average glass of water was just these simple molecules just randomly jostling around. Um, but with quantum physics, you have, well, the quantum, quantum physics basically says that every material particle is a wave, has a wave property that extends to the end of the universe. So what happens in this... In, <laughs> I'm taking on a lot here. Uh, this this quantum state. Now, excuse me. I'm, I'm... Brad, what what's coming in my head, Carl? Is that I when when I get to onto like listening and and there are things that are confusing to me, as you said in yeah. the syntax, I just have to keep reminding myself that about frequency, 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 so that when um being conscious and intentionally reminding myself will help me have that coherence to 
you know, to anything that the person is sharing or to, you know, for, for my outside world. And I like also when you kept emphasizing about mathematics, about math, but beyond math, I'm seeing things as, as consciousness. Everything is basically consciousness, whether if it's a number, it's a letter, it's, a, you know, it's all, all coming together as consciousness. And what I heard from you as well is that whether it is, we are already connected, we're already tapping. So again, back to what's happening now, I thought, huh, maybe what's happening now, mathematically, it, it's time to happen now. So then now it's have that mathematical contribution. <laughs> I say that contribution on how we want to change this. So I'll, I'm gonna pass it on to, to, to um, uh, Jane, uh, but thank you so much and you know, thank, thank you. Grace. Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take up where Grace left off. And we talk a lot about how humans and we are programmed and our reality is often our mind and our beliefs, right? And how those realities can change in an instant if we're exposed to something. And I, I wanted you to explain the double slit experiment because it is really interesting and in how, you know, just our perception or just our paying attention to something can change it. And I wondered if it, you know, can can come back to how spontaneous healing happens and how we can switch into another dimension and all of that. So take it away. Yeah, okay, okay. Well, I, my, my thoughts have caught up with me. Um, and what I was going to say, and it ties in with what you're saying, is yes. for a long time, water was a simple molecule. Quantum physics, because it extends to the end of the universe, each particle is an inherent connection to everything. But because of this modeling with water, uh, water molecules are able to reach out and communicate with distant molecules and attract them in order to form these clusters and different configurations, all different sorts of things. And it does it within the body as well. So yeah. now moving to answer your question. So in, in very small spaces, for example, water will start to, will start to form things called exclusion zones where uh, the H2O, which the H2O molecules will start to stack on each other out to, you know, a few nanometers. And that acts as a little battery. And it pushes all impurities out as well. And, um, yeah, I'm thinking of deuterium water. Yeah. Um, so there's, there's that inherent connection. Um, so the double, the double slit experiment, that was just, a, that was an experiment that was done when they were observing uh, the particulate nature of, of, of photons. I believe that was the first experiment. And what they did was they got two slits and they would shine a light at it like a flashlight. And on the other side, opposite the flashlight, there would be a screen. And as you'd expect, you would see two bars of light on the screen according to the two slits that were placed between the light source and the screen. Then what they did was they turned down the light, the intensity, and then they got it to the level where they were just shooting individual photons. And what they found was, uh, 
and this is where it gets funny, depending on whether they looked at it or not, they made an observation. Um, at that level, on the screen, they would see a pattern where there'd be a bright spot in the center, two lesser bright stripes, and so on and so on. And so there was an interference pattern that would be that would explain light as a wave property. So actually, yeah, you, you caught me off guard there, Jane, because I, I it was actually originally when you shine a light at the two slits, you get the waveform. And then when you bring it, when you lower the intensity down to individual photons, you could start to see the two slits appear. But they also noticed that depending on whether or not they made an observation, it would appear as a particle or as a wave. And that became a big problem in 1927. The guys came up to Einstein and said, we've got a problem. Even looking at the, this experiment, we're changing the outcome. Which yeah. then gives the basis of this idea that our, that our ability just to observe, I guess, a conscious observation changes the outcome. It shows the potential that we have in our, in, in, in our ability to perceive to affect the universe around us. So there again, we're acting as, as kind of a conduit for this potential source from the Godhead, how it manifests in this reality. So you can, I, I was, there, there's all kinds of wonderful things like experiments have been done uh, with humans, um, uh, well, well, with water for one thing, where they're able to now increase photon emissions uh, uh, corresponding with lunar and solar eclipses and even earthquakes. Um, and even Lily Kalisco in the 1920s, she was noticing the crystallization of salt, uh, salts and water uh, would change depending on, on the planet's positions in the sky. Um, and there's also correlations between heart rate and solar flares. Uh, we're connected through, through all this, through all this flow. There's also the, the entangled realm. There's also something called, um, uh, uh, for example, in, in physics, and then I'll explain it in terms of the human aspect, is, is that uh, out of the background field, a gamma ray energy, uh, what will happen is you, you have an electron and a positron forming, a particle and an antiparticle forming. And because they started off with a common origin and they go to the ends of the universe, they're forever entangled, they're forever connected. The spin properties of one changes, the other one changes instantly. But the trick is that they must have a common uh, experience together, a shared experience. So you see that in mother and child relationships, you see that in twins, because they came from the same source and then they separate, there's this connection beyond space and time. Now, is that, is that the water within us being the operative mechanism behind this? I think so. Uh, is it the only one? I, I, I'm not sure. But water is one of these things. Uh, well, it's probably the only thing um, that seems to have this ability to be associated with consciousness. Um, the Russian guy, Vyokov, he's, and I believe Korotkov, um, they said in 2016 that as wherever there's water, wherever there's consciousness, there's water. And as many states of consciousness, there's as many states uh, of water. 
But I didn't. I don't mean phases of water. Different. Every 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 let's say glass of water or every volume of water has its own unique uh, uh, structure in terms of these uh, uh, subtle um, connections. Uh, sorry about that, guys. Um, that was me. I thought I got the Skype. <laughs> um, um, where was I? I'm sorry. Um, I can go. I, there's so much I want to say. The, um, the different um, forms of water is where you were. Yeah, consciousness. So consciousness seems to be to be everywhere. Um, and water seems to be everywhere, too. They even found it on Pluto. I think in 2018, the New Horizon project, they found blue skies and water. It's in it's in the moon. It's on the moon, in the form of hydroxyl ions. It's it's also in a form of ice in the shadows of its craters. It's on this, in the, you know, this, uh, the salt waters of the of the moon Ganymede. It's everywhere, even even uh, in the tails of comets. Which is a whole a whole other thing. How that forms? Uh, we're ninety nine percent molecularly water, about seventy percent by weight. Uh, water is it also, and this is. I suppose I should start to bring in um, how this might tap, how we might tap into this realm. So this deeper level of being, uh, and it's through the dynamic motion of the vortex. So this is an interesting thing because in the subconscious minds through all throughout history, um, people have always sensed that everything spins and everything is brought into this world through spinning. Even way back, you know, the sixth century BC. Um, and I can't pronounce his name, I'll try it because I write more than I speak these names. Um, Anaximander um, believed that everything came from this source called the Apiron, which was a reservoir which kept all the unique properties of the universe. And they would, and from, from this realm, things would manifest. And they would also go back to it as well. The Celts and the Teutons believed that we came from a giant whirlpool called the Sharbide. Uh, even in the uh, Enum uh, Elash, they talk about everything coming from uh, uh, from spin. Everything comes from the the, the 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 Sufi mystic, as I always seem to quote. Um, he said that we come spinning out of nothingness, spreading stars like dust, casting stars like dust, which is very powerful. We come spinning out of nothing, and when you go look at every fundamental particle that comes into being from the quantum, from this from this potential substrate, uh, they all have spin properties. Everything spins. And the reasons for that is, well, here I go again. Uh, physics states that when you try to enclose energy, every bounded energy system must rotate. And I always think of a lion or a leopard in cap captivity pacing back and forth, all this energy pent up and it just goes back and forth. So, but spin has these other properties. Um, for example, if you, if you imagine it has a polarization property, if you take, if you can imagine a big um, uh, a whirlpool 
or even just the, the bathtub or the kitchen sink, it starts to, the water starts to spiral down it. The molecules are also spinning, but they will also start to spin in the same direction. So you get this polarization from the large scale to the small scale and onwards. So the vortex is able to go from the quantum realm right up to cosmological scale events, such as spinning galaxies, black holes, um, etc. So if we can align and allow that spin within us to cohere, where everything starts to, to cohere and spin or become polarized in that same fashion, we too, because it's also connected to consciousness, we can also tap in to the cosmos and to, and to access knowledge anywhere within the universe. That's what I believe. The mystics used to do that. They could go off anywhere in the universe. I mean, there's experiments with telepathy. They're doing it, they're, they're in clairvoyance. How do you explain these things? Um, I know that there's experiments done uh, with quantum entanglements, uh, but also using water to communicate across countries. We're fully connected. And all of nature is connected. We, this is how we can connect. And the beauty of it is because it's water and it's doing the same thing in every living thing, there's no need to translate. It puts us on the same playing field. The water in me can resonate with the water in you. It can resonate with the tree outside. It can so this is the way we can communicate at the level of heart our code through coherence. And so I could talk about the heart too, because that is actually not a pump, but a spinning mechanism. It causes the bud to spin. And when you, anything that spins, you also get torsion fields, which is another topic I can go into, but it seems to be a property uh, that, that goes beyond the speed of light. It has uh, superluminal properties. Um, and the Russians have done a lot of work in that, in the former Soviet Union as well. Um, so you get torsion fields. And torsion fields, very bizarre experiments. Any any spinning object creates a, creates a torsion field. Any spinning object also creates a magnetic field. But a torsion field seems to have more properties than it's not limited by space and time. And uh, you might have heard of Maxwell's equations. Maxwell um, described electromagnetism with about 20 equations. And uh, another guy, Heaviside, came along and reformulated them down to four equations uh, that were more practical for our use. And they've held for over 150 years. But the unique thing about these, um, the original equations, that they had terms in them that they couldn't understand. They seemed to be extra dimensional. But because they couldn't understand them, they left them, they left them out for practical reasons. So the torsion field seems to be, at the speed of light, doesn't seem to be uh, um, an upper limit. It just seems to be a threshold. You know, we're taught in physics that it's an upper limit. Nothing can go faster than it. Um, and I, I can go off on a whole other thing about um, particles actually don't become heavier as they get faster. Approaching the speed of light to become more ephemeral and energetic, um, and this is the this is also the basis for communication. Um, yeah, I can. I, I there, there's lots, but going go back to the body with the heart and the blood, uh, it's it, every even the blood through our veins and arteries spirals. 
that's how we can get down to the capillaries right down there. And we also have this magnetic field um, from the heart that extends out to 12 feet. That can be measured with uh, sophisticated instrumentation. But the human body is the best sensor at these things. It's evolved with water. It's much better than any machine. So for me, sometimes I see all these things like the Fitbits and all these feedback devices. I'm going, but my body's already wired to this stuff. I just have to learn how to use it. Do you know? Yeah. Um, you yeah, know what I'm I, saying? I took mine off because I thought it was messing with my energy field. And I think in a nutshell, what you're saying is that the more incoherence we are within ourselves, the more connected we are to the universe and everything around us. So we'll be healthier, we'll be more in touch with our dreams, our intuition, which is always connected to the universe. And if we ask, we'll receive the answers, right? Yes, yes, yes. Because that intent goes along with, you know, a prayerful state goes along with the coherent state. Yeah. And when you're in coherence, you're open to the answers. So you can actually hear them. Did, did you say incoherent? Or your incoherence? Your incoherence. Yes, yeah. yes, 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 of yeah. course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. your vibration gets stronger, you know, um, absolutely. Because it's not just one thing. It's many things working, oscillating together. That's the state of coherence. It amplifies. And we can reach out. And then we can receive and we can transmit mm. at that level. Yeah. Yeah, and, and anything is possible at that level too, right? Like spontaneous healing or a change in a timeline or suddenly something, you know, coming to us. But anyway, it's it's fascinating. Thank you so much. I wanted to ask about the third, fourth, and fifth dimension, but <laughs> I, I maybe I'll pass you to Steve and then see if there's more time. Okay, thanks, Jane. Okay. Wow. We have we have the man, the myth, and the legend, Carl. It's a pleasure to be here. <laughs> um, well, let's see. I have a lot of different angles I want to go, but there's a theory that you know the past, the present, and the future are all happening at the same time, and that time and distance are an illusion. Um, there's also a theory that this is all a dream, and you know, as we're saying, a, a possibly a simulation. So if we talk about perhaps consciousness is the true reality, because that's perhaps where we originated from. And that's, uh, you know, where you know, what the ether is, what the quantum field is, what we are, what everything is. But it's formless. Right. So it's odd that reality would be something formless. It's hard to get your hands around that. And then if you think of consciousness as like something like a God thing, you know, or intelligence, you don't want to denigrate it. But when you think simulation, to me, the first thing happens is it's not real. So it's like a, a denigration of consciousness. So, you know, if this is a simulation, is consciousness here? Yeah, I, yeah, I, I agree with you. That's why I didn't like the word simulation, because it seems to place things in kind of this uh, electronic high tech environment. That's it. And it's, yeah, and like it's, it's not it's real. Yeah, yeah. And, you know. Well, 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 Steve, if I, if I may just say this, because I, you know, one of the things I sort of thinking, and, and if I can uh, 
taken this idea, maybe I, I bring in scripture again, but it was like um, uh, you had God the Father who gave his son to, to come into earth. So mm. there you have God the Father being the potential source, um, pure potential, essence, everything. Uh, but in that realm, um, nothing is hidden because you don't have time stretched out. It's all together. There is no separation in space or time. Nothing being hidden. Nothing's in the past. In the future. What do you have? All you have is pure essence. Mm. That's the thing that doesn't change. So you can't have things like longing. You can't experience those human qualities. Longing, regret, hope, joy. Not to the same extent that you can when these things are put into the space and time domain. So I see it's that's why Jesus, the son, came to earth to have this experience. And then he brings that experience, this conscious experience, back to the Godhead. So that it can then be re-expressed outward again. And this is where I go into my toroidal kind of shape, where everything spirals to this, to this point. It's a unique geometry. Mm. It's like a donut, a toroid. But things can spiral in. And, and I sort of use that as a kind of a template for life, coming into life and karma and everything. Um, I could mm. actually, but I, I know if I start to do this, I'll go off subject. But um what it is is this point in the center, um, and I look at that as being the Godhead, the source of everything. And from that, it spirals outward. We come into, yeah, that's it. Um, let me see if I can get a a, a a a better one here. Oh God, I think it's towards the end. I hope um, I hope a lot of flat earthers watch this. <laughs> Uh, I have all these things. It's towards the end, unfortunately. You know, it just came to me. There's people who say, you know, there's people who apparently can see code, like in everything, you know, even my, you know, even my bottle or me, they see code coming into my, my crown. And yeah. if that's true, perhaps that code is consciousness. And, you yeah, know, the same, yeah. It, 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 it's information. And, and I think the highest, the highest form of energy or the most purest form of energy is conscious, is, is information at that realm. But can, can you see that, that mm. thing that, up there? So that's yeah. just, um, so you have a toroid. I, you can kind, unfortunately, I can't point to it, but it's kind of a donut there, two halves of a donut. But the spiral, this is an inward spiral, and then you have the lower one, the outward spiral. And this is what... This is what drives the whole thing is the inward spiral. Because as you spiral inward, you start to cohere more and more and more. And you get a densification. And, 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 and then it comes to this center point where I have essence, soul, the seed of life. That was also known as the Leia point. It was also known as the Mahabinda point in, in Indian uh, philosophy or Eastern philosophy. So this is what I what this is the last chapter in the book, and I was trying to trying to explain this universal form, um, in 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 terms of the cycle of life and and karma. Um, so if we start the seed of life from this center point and we go downwards, we grow, we're growing outward into the world, and then we go, we start to extend our our big circular diameter about that. That's when we reach the prime of life. We're, we're, we're coming out. We're expressing ourselves. And then as we go along, we start to weaken. And 
uh, we start to get pulled in again through the top, through this inner vortex, going right back to the essence of souls and things. So what happens is that we have this expression and then this consciousness is what I believe. This experience is then brought back to the Godhead. And you, you even have this in, you know, I always quote Don Juan and Carlos Castaneda. And he said that uh, the primary the primary essence, what there was this entity called the eagle, an infinite uh, uh, kind of force or power. And when man died, a man, I'm woman, of course, um, when they died, um, he would take their consciousness and devour it. And there was no passion or love or anything. This is the main product was the conscious experience of the person that would be consumed. But because the universe continually oscillates, I see this as a karmic cycle. So every time that we go about on this cycle from, from being born to dying again, we're bringing back the experience, the conscious experience back to the Godhead, back to this plenum, back to the substrate where the universe can then express again. But each time it's building on what has been done before. It's a ratcheting up. There's an intrinsic upward momentum, if that's the right word, to the universe. It's not chaotic. It's based on this fundamental form. And this fundamental form can be broken into in the inward and outer spirals. Um, so uh, I can say more about that. You can also look at, uh, um, you know, um, there's some people postulate at the center of every proton is uh, a black hole. And a black hole, as you know, is this timeless dimension of this place. Because it's no information gets stuck at the event horizon of a black hole. Which, if I can just say this, this is quite interesting in a holographic theory of the universe. Because when information Let's say you, 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 your wallet falls into a black hole. Uh, all that information only stays on the outside of the event horizon. Three-dimensional information is encoded in two dimensions. So as, we, as, we, as the universe begins to learn and know more and collects more information, its own event horizon starts to increase. And it's a two-dimensional just like a holograph. So when you shine a light through the two-dimensional photographic plate, you get a three-dimensional representation. So maybe the, the, the increase in the accumulation of information and experience is in a wild idea, just a wild speculative theory. Is this why the universe is expanding faster and faster at its edges? It's not just expanding, it's expanding faster and faster. And the reason why we can't pierce that or go beyond it or know what's beyond it because light can't travel fast enough back to us. And that's, that's another border. So, but at the center of every black hole, at the center of every proton, at the center, you could also put the, the, the body field in, this, in, in, in the same description where you, where you place the heart over this essence and soul of life thing, a point that I have here which Madame Lovetsky called it the layer point. It was a point where there was no differentiation. So it's a place, and some refer to it as the void, the nothingness from which everything comes. And that's where you have this dichotomy, a void, but everything in the universe, yes. 
Um, another way to explain it is if, um, well, there's Eastern, the Egyptian Nut, the goddess, she was described as having an, uh, uh, an infinite circumference, a circle, an immeasurable circle that it would extend outwards. You couldn't measure, it was so big. And her counterpart, her masculine counterpart, Hadith, was the point, the singular point within everything. And that singular point had its circumference about it. So you have this, this oscillation between the intestinally small and the huge expansive realms of, of the cosmos, the universe. Another way to look at it is if you take if you take a mathematical point, it has no, you can't differentiate anything, it's just a point. But if you were to expand it outwards, you start to get the dimensions of space and time. You can start to describe it as a sphere. But as a point, it's just a point. There's nothing more. It's not differentiated, but yet it contains everything when it's manifest or expanded outwards. So I can go on like this, but maybe. Um, mm. Mm. Yeah, well, I mean, if you think of consciousness as something that's always been here or intelligence or God, it, nothing gave birth to it. And that's what we are. So there's no beginning, no end. And how could it know itself other than to, you know, I guess, have physicality uh, or some some, you know, level of it. And, you know, we'd have to fractalize out and individualize to to uh, have the experiences we need to know what, I guess, experience is. You know, I remember uh, I, I saw an interview, oddly enough, with um, Alan Greenspan, the former head of the Fed, and Ann Rand. And, you know, both of those are, you know, because you mentioned Blavatsky. So, you know, I actually have a question now because of that. But in this interview, Alan Greenspan, the head of the Fed, and we know Ann Rand, um, created a, a philosophical um, thing, objectivism. And I, I think it's in the realm of what we all misunderstand is probably Luciferianism. Um, but Alan Greenspan said, how do I even know I'm here? And while he's talking to Anne Rand, you know, it was like something like that. You know, it's like, it seems like an idiotic statement. But my point is, if you look at, you know, two seconds ago, I can't ever get that back. I can't ever say, well, where, where am I two seconds ago? All there is is now. So it's in a way, the present moment of now is an illusion. It's kind of, you know, trippy if you think about it, because you can never really get back what, are, what has already occurred. So, yeah, um, uh, yeah, absolutely. Every, every, everything, every, everything changes moment by moment. But mm -hmm. we make the assumption that it's, this, you know, that things don't change that much because the change might be negligible to our perception. Well, but yeah, but this, gives, this gives rise to like, did it happen? Like, okay, if we watch this over again and I'm sitting there watching me in the film in the chair at that moment, yeah, I could say it happened, but I can't, I can't go back. That every second that just goes by is gone. You know what I mean? I can never go back there. So that's, I think, what Greenspan, you know, was saying. But in, in order to, you know, to get to Mary, I just want to ask the Blavatsky question because this is always a conundrum with me because the you know, the, the awful things that go on on this earth are are perpetrated by people who are very steeped in the mystery schools and knowledge. So would you consider Blavatsky someone that was a proponent of being respectful of your of your human, uh, you know, of humankind 
like are the teachings of Blavatsky dark and Luciferian? And even if I think we all have a misunderstanding of what Lucifer is, but let's call it, are they dark and, and, you know, like, you know, do what thou wilt or are they, are they, are they empowering and spiritual? Well, yeah, that's, that's a really good question. And, and what comes to mind is, is it's kind of um, when you have all this esoteric knowledge, that's like, uh, you know how something works. It's, you know, what do they say? You know, it's not a gun that kills. It's the person who has the gun. You know, it's this sort of thing. So all this wonderful information about how the universe works is in those, it's hidden from most because most people would trash it. They wouldn't know what it was. Yeah. Uh, and it's also... Well, so, they say there, I've, you know, I've listened to Steiner and he says that the general public's not worthy of it. Now that is, you know, could that be... Is that because, you know, but then that could be taken to another level where we're not going to give it to them because we want to manipulate them. But is it true that, you know, the general public isn't worthy of this? Or do they make them unworthy of it by dumbing them down and making them, you know, bread and circus freaks? But I just sort of changed the topic. But I was sort of more like, is Blavatsky stuff dark or, or, or was there a sense of goodness in it, you know, for your fellow man? Well, that would depend on Madame Blavatsky. And I, I don't know her full history. Okay. But um, I, well, I I don't know um, her. Yeah, there was Annie Besant and Colonel Leadbeater and 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 those people too. And like for example, they were practicing a form of of meditation. Uh, this is something that I write in my book where they were able to perceive at the smallest scales, and they were describing quark particles and and things sub quantum, you know, all this kind of stuff. Mm. Um. But you know, Hitler, Hitler, like Blavatsky was like Hitler's, you know, basically he followed Blavatsky. Yeah, because she was tapping into a lot of information and, and but she was getting it from different sources. And I think sometimes she was actually uh, pretending it was hers, perhaps. And the example okay. I was going to say was, is because she uh, she also described. Yes, excuse me. It wasn't it wasn't vortical particles or our our quarks. It was actually perceiving. Uh, yes, it was. Excuse me. And, and what it was is seeing it in terms of a spiral like this one. I can show you the diagrams from her from her actual book. But then I found there was a guy maybe 40 years earlier than that in his book, Light and Color, a guy called Babbitt. He had described the same thing, but she didn't mention him. I see. And she should have because she would have known about it. I would have mm. thought in those circles coming from the same area. And mm. it was out, a well-known book out there for 40 years. So she went all around India talking to all kinds of holy men and stuff. So she was she was getting the vast amounts of information, but I think she was also weaving her own story about it too. Mm. Um, yeah. And that's and that's okay. I mean, I you know, I take a lot of good information on my book, but I tried to weave my own story. Uh, but I have to say, I'm trying to do it in in the most altruistic fashion for the good of, of mankind and and. Uh, you know, to help me understand my, myself how the universe works, because I see there's a lot of there's lots of things in physics um, that aren't necessarily properly explained, and I don't think they're good theories. I mean, things like dark dark matter and dark energy. Uh, you know, a scientist says, you know, he comes up with a theory that the galaxies are moving in a certain way, and he says, ah, if we put this term in here, everything works according to our theory. We don't know what it is. We'll call it dark energy. And then everybody goes off and thinks it's a real thing. 
No, it just means that it's the, the, the theory, our, our theories of our understanding is not sophisticated enough to understand it. And even the, the, the head of the Journal of Cosmology admitted to that about 10 years ago, that it was a fudge factor. But you get all these. So when a theory becomes too complex, you know, are, are too many terms in it, it's, you're, you're getting too complex. Nature's simple. Yeah. It works on this simple mathematics. You look at the golden ratio. Wow. It's in everything. Mm. How plants grow, uh, you know, you go on. People have heard about it. So I think things are simpler. And so my, my goal was to try to see things in more simple terms. And, you know, I heard things like water, when it spirals, it sells, cleanses, all these things with spiraling motion. So I tried to put it together. And, and then I tried to apply it to homeopathy or, or even to potentizing water, to give water memory. And even Luc Montagne in his experiments, his experiments where uh, highly diluted substances were emitting photons from bacterium and, and viruses and stuff. Um, and and so so it's, so he would he was hidden on the on on this on this whole, uh, so it's able to broadcast outwards, but in order for it to do that to have any kind of potent it had to be vortexed it had to be spun. Mm, okay. And, bi and biodynamic farming, they, they yeah, get big well, barrels of water. And what's the only thing in this uh, galaxy or in our solar system that doesn't spin? The moon, right? So, you know. Uh, it does. The, the moon spins? It spins, but it spins at a no. rate. At, it, well, it's always facing the same way, but it's, but it's rotating. No. Ah, yeah. All right. Well, we think it's a we. Uh, you know, I think I, I've been told it's a death star. But I'm going to pass over to Mary, and um, okay, and you know, yeah, we'll see. I'm off. Oh, I just wanted to show you this, Steve. Mm. Uh, not that one. This one. See, can you see that diagram? So this is this is this is one of the one one spiral wrapping around the other, and you have it at the cosmic scale. So down here, you have the sun. You have the Earth going around the sun. The moon going around the, the earth, but it's always facing the same direction as it turns. And that's not unique to the earth and the moon. Other planets, you know, what they'll do mm -hmm. is they'll take up their, their orbits at certain positions and periodicities, and they also get entrained so that they all face the planet. This, wow. this, it, so it, so it, it's just a wonderful way. I, look, in passing, we got, we got other stuff. Um, I won't explain that all. I'll, um, um, mm -hmm. But I just wanted to say that it every, every everything does spin. That's cool. Yeah, that's what I think. You know, and um, well, maybe we'll all get another chance to ask a question. But Mary, Mary, you're up next. All right, I'm trying to decide if I want to talk more about the so spinning Earth, not a flat Earth, Carl. But yeah. I. Yeah, jump to um, Steve. Kind of brought up a lot of people misunderstand maybe Luciferianism. So, what what would you say that's like the dark energy, and is that the same as Satanism, or is there a difference between those two? Uh, are you referring to when I mentioned dark matter and dark energy? Mm -hmm. uh, I just think they're they're they call it dark because they don't know what the hell it is. Uh, in 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 that's in in that stage, I don't think it's, it's satanic energy or anything. Um, my my own my own like I keep referring to this idea that uh, you know does does evil exist at 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 the level of source the level of potential 
I don't know, but everything comes into this world in polarity. So when you have good, you have bad, you have black, white. There's all, all things come out, you know, positron, electron, antiparticle, particle. And this is part of the whole simulation is to have almost, you know, like time and space. You also have something to work against you. Uh, and this is another interesting thing in, in, in physics. There's so many things. To every reaction, there's an opposite and equal reaction. You also get, like, when, it, when, when electricity flows, uh, as it starts to flow, it generates a magnetic field that resists its own flow. When a river goes down, uh, down from the mountains towards the ocean, it doesn't continually speed up and turn into a tsunami at the end. It creates little vortices to sort of counteract its own flow. So is evil something there in the same vein, the same thought is to cause a resistance to our going forward? in order to do what? Enhance the experience, the conscious experience of life, the whole purpose of being here, to bring it back to the Godhead. That's what I try to see, because in, in the scriptures in Isaiah, and you know, guys, I've quoted this before, it's like God created both good and evil. It wasn't just good, and then evil came along to sabotage it. He created both. So I think dark energy... Eh, in, in, in the way you're mentioning it, Mary, is I think it's something that comes with the experience of being here uh, in this space and time. Is there, is evil, is there an evil entity? Yeah, um, I know there's evil entities, but is there a singular entity from which it all comes? I'm not sure. Because everything seems to be yin and yang. Is is there some good and evil? I don't know. My own experience is that of, of my own personal experience is that there is evil. And it's something that is that I wouldn't even want Hitler to experience. That's how evil it is. There is an evil out there. And um is it is 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 it something built up against because we've been lazy as humans? We haven't been appreciating or watching what we're doing or how we're manifesting the potential essence of the Godhead into this realm. Is it there to kind of refine us? Is it kind of like the thorns on a rose bush? It, it serves its purpose. We need that to usher us along, to, to, to make it better. I mean, if you're trying to purify something, you have to put it through, the, through fire. You have to put it through that that harsh, that harshness through the through the valley of death or whatever, you know. Um, you know, Christ had to die on the cross. You know, he ushers us to, you know, die to the old man that we might be reborn. There's this going through this dark, this 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 perhaps even evil. I don't have all the answers, Mary, but that's my take. Um, would you say that we all come from the, the source and the purpose of the simulation then is for the source to experience the consciousness? Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah we do. But I, I also, I play with the idea that um, uh, not all of us graduate or I think not all of us develop souls 
It is only by the grace of God, whatever that means, meaning that I, I don't know. What, what makes someone wake up and what makes them stay asleep? You know, what, what is that? Um, what makes one start to become self-aware? What is that spark? Is it just a chance? Is it some quantum fluctuation, you know, that starts to develop and, and form and become something? Um, and so that would mean, I play with, because we're told that every everything has, every, everybody has a soul, but animals don't have souls. That would, that would, that's what I was taught in, 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 the, Catholic, in the Catholic religion. Something I always uh, never agreed with. I believe that animals have souls. Um, absolutely. Um, that's, that's interesting too, talking about some people develop souls and some people don't, opposed to just being born with one. So some people you would say are born like here on this earth and they don't have a soul, but then they could develop one new one. Yeah, or, or maybe, yeah, it's just, the, you know, it's just like, you know, getting back to the parable of throwing, you know, you throw your seeds out, some fall on a rock, it'll never grow. Other ones fall in fertile soil and they develop. What makes one happen and not the other? I don't know. That's beyond, that's beyond me. Um, but I think it would have to do, to under, you, you know, the, the universe is layered. There's also, which isn't talked about, there's different organizational levels. So what we perceive here, you know, uh, there's other entities or beings that have a, that have a higher uh, bird's eye view of all of humanity. And there's layers and layers of this, of consciousness, of different levels of organization. Um, that's why, you know, little ants and stuff in the ground, they don't even see us. They're in a different level of organization or communication or what they're doing. But I think as humans, we have the capacity to rise to see things from a higher level. And, and that's consciousness. And that all comes along with self-awareness, being able to realize that we are not just our bodies, but that we are, that we are gods. We are, we are vessels that channel the potential of the Godhead to manifest in any way we want to. And what determines what way we want to do it? Well, that's a multiplicity of things from our experience, our genes, our environment, a whole bunch of things. Then I can't answer that. Uh, I one more quick question. Then, kind of, so putting it in in layman's terms, I know you talked about like the pure potential and the source, and then how do how do we then um, like manifest that potential or connect with it? And then you talked about the vortex, kind of in in maybe like layman's terms. Yeah, how, what what can people do to connect with that? Yeah, how to how to connect with that? Um, well, I did say that water was, was uh, I believe that water is the basis of consciousness. And, and, and so we're connected to that level. Our DNA is collected to uh, the quantum field. Water within our bodies is, we get energized by it. Um, uh, so we are already connected fundamentally. But in our heads and, and in this realm, we seem to be through habit or through necessity or through control, we're locked into this realm. We don't really think about that. 
I mean, in, in, in old days, I mean, people, I, I guess, used to pray a lot more uh, because they were aware of death, the, the thin veil of life and death, because they'd have to kill their own animals to eat. They'd see, you know, they didn't understand disease. Uh, so they were very aware of this fine line. And God was important. I mean, they had the burning of the witches. They were so paranoid about evil contaminating people. Uh, you have book burnings so that people don't start to think outside the realm and start to ask more questions. They want to control it so it's so it's protected. Everything's the same. Um, yeah. Um, how do we align with it? Through, through coherence, through intent. Um, but why would one do that uh, unless one has the inkling or the understanding? And that all goes back to um, some do and some don't have it. I suppose we could. I suppose by proxy we can we can we can send our our vibrations to people. We can reinforce them. You know, we have a body field. We have intent. We have kinesiology. We have all this underlying connectedness. And through in, through intent, we can affect things around us and other people. We can even, you know, split the Red Sea, as it were. We can we can manifest our own reality. But there is powers out there that prevent us, distract us, put us in a place of fear, which is also, if you want to translate it into a state of inco incoherence, where we no longer connect to source, and we're kind of trapped in this realm where we're reacting to our environment rather than creating our environments. So I guess it's where that happens is whether one is connected at that level or is aware of their connection at that level. And it's really quite simple, I think. It, because, and this is, goes back to the reality, I think we can also create, if we understand this simple connection, you know, forgetting all the quantum physics and stuff, but that there's this timeless, realm from which everything comes and that this is just a manifestation of it and it all goes back to it and that we are always connected uh, that's karma that's this connection nearly all indigenous beliefs have just believe just exactly that um, and i think when we're connected we also don't need to be told what's right and wrong we're already connected to the moral code of the universe. Thanks, Carl. We pass it back Thanks. to Virginia. Thank you. Hey, yeah. thank you all. Jane, Go ahead, Grace. No, I just want to say um, just, just appreciation comment from uh, the viewers, and we do appreciate their presence and they appreciate our conversation and that's that even if we're here in this you know zoom our online conversation we feel their presence as as they feel our presence so i'll pass it on to jane thank you jane yeah maybe i'll get that chance to ask about third fourth fifth dimension you mentioned yeah, that was, yeah, I thought I had the Skype off. I don't know where it's coming from. Um, yeah, I, 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 I don't, um, yeah, I mean, it's all, it's all uh, semantics and syntax and, 
you know, you have to define what your terms are. I hear the term, the fifth dimension being used. Um, and, and, and I don't bring that into it at all. The fourth or fifth or sixth dimensions. Um, well, you mentioned the second going to the third. Like, well, well that's three. I'm talking about this is three dimensions and one at a time. Yeah, yeah. That's what I meant by that. And, th and, then there's, and then there's a dimensionalist realm, which is just like a point where space and time are all mushed together in an undifferentiated mass yet to be manifest. Right. So, and, and, but, and you talked about the speeding up on the edges. Yeah. The third dimension. Yeah, well, well, I also mentioned that, you know, the speed of light uh, is always being taught as an upper limit. Nothing can go faster than it. Um, but that's, it can only go faster in this realm of space and time. But there's thinking now that it's merely the speed of light is just a threshold. So there is things, information can propagate faster than the speed of light outside this realm of space and time. So you might, so I see that as being connected to uh, this underlying uh, substrate or plenum where there is no time. All time is one. It's a timeless realm. All you have is essence, potential. So the fourth and the sixth and the fifth, these are just maybe other descriptions of a layered universe that are, you know, different levels of organization. Um, and, you know, I'm sort of thinking like, um, I've heard it, uh, there's another description called the news, the news sphere, N-O-O uh, sphere, uh, which was Talia uh, de Chardin, he used to talk about it. And when people are meditating, uh, there's this layer of smog, which is all the, you know, the negative thoughts and the grumblings of, of all of humanity in the collective consciousness. And that you have to pass through that new sphere to get beyond it. So, you know, you could describe them as different dimensional levels. You know, this is why it's important to define the terms, because people can interpret them differently um, in different ways. So I try to avoid all that dimensional stuff, because when you start talking uh, other dimensions, you, you think of the physical world and then something that's not in this physical world, it's invisible. But... Um, you know, when you walk out in nature, you're dealing with the multi-dimensional universe where things are overlapping. The bumblebee or the, the bee, it only sees in the ultraviolet. Um, we don't, but yet we share a space. Um, and then you can go on and, you know, there might be, you know, animals that you rarely see. Uh, and then there could be undines and silts and all these leprechauns. Uh, are these other entities that people used to be able to see because they were they were because they were much closer to nature. Do you know what I'm saying? And over the years we've been taught not to see this stuff anymore. Yeah. So yeah. it's kind well, of that sort of thing. Yeah, there's just so much talk that as as we become more in coherence and our vibration increases, that we'll move into the fifth dimension. And it's like hard to get your head around it because we don't we don't know what it is. But and you know, it's like, I and maybe it is that that we start to see, you know, other um, 
things like the insects do other spectrums and we can see the milfs and that kind of thing just because we're of that vibration. So yeah, yeah, exactly. So when you say fifth dimension, I just sort of think of it as, as, as becoming more coherent and more expansive in our consciousness I, to perceive other higher levels of organization than the universe. It's a layered, magnificent, mysterious universe. So yeah, it's just syntax and, and how we explain it. I guess. Yeah. yeah, and I guess I just wonder if we're not at a point in humanity where things have sped up, you know, on the outer edges enough that we're going to, you know, just uh, turn like there'll be like a page turning or, you know, we'll spill into it, into this other way of perceiving. And yeah, yeah. I don't know. Absolutely. Well, if that spiral thing, you know, you're, you're kind of going like that and then we're going like this and then we're going and we're going faster and faster till we hit that boom, the, the, that nexus point, the layout point and boom, a new level of organization comes out and then we experience that. So there you go, the toroid, the spin thinking, the universal flow dynamic. So it can be used to explain that too. <laughs> it actually makes the most sense to me as you've talked. It makes a lot of sense in that right. that what's happening and they talk about the fourth dimension as time so maybe in the fifth we don't experience time the same yeah i mean yeah it, yeah it, exactly you know because I, I i say three dimensions but that's you know x y and, and z but there's also time and that was known as that's a four-dimensional thing i think it's the the, the ryman space or the way of explaining it but uh we don't say the fourth dimension per se, you know, so it's semantics and it's good to define terms yeah. um, when you get to that level. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But yeah, you've made a lot of sense of what it possibly is. It's really interesting. Thank you so yeah, much. Thanks, Jane. Thank you, Jane. <laughs> Grace? Steve? Steve? Oh. Uh, yeah, Jay, are you dropping off? But anyway, um, I don't know. I was sort of thinking, um, let's see. I had a reading once because I had friends in the World Trade Center on 9-11. And, you know, with my knowledge and experience, I know that that was a false flag, at least on Earth in the physical plane. And I, I remember asking, you know, why would my friends choose to be in that building who had, you know, one of them had six kids and he was just the most uh, energetic and unbelievable father. And I'm like, I'm like, did he actually agree to be in that building on that day? And he said, um, or whatever my question was, it was like, the answer was, oh, and then I said, when he died, did he go, you know, did, if he wasn't aware of the matrix of domination and control, when he crossed over, did he get to see that, you know, he was part of a, a false flag and a deliberate murder of Americans? Um, and what he what this guy said was he, he said he would understand it on a spiritual level. He wouldn't look at it in human terms. I'm, this is what he said. I, he said it in a beautiful way, but he said that he would look at it as something that had to happen or, you know, like he chose to be there and. Um, you know, it was uh, something that that was necessary. And I still still have trouble wrapping my hands around it. But what that leads to, in a sense, is, you know, if you 
I don't want mean to go dark at the end because it was such a great conversation. Uh, but you know, for the in our circles, a lot of us are doing this probably more than anything for the children um, because we know that atrocities are going on. I mean, I think they're real, and I I really do think that there is some insane stuff where kids are being you know not only tortured, but then you get into this thing where at some level nothing needs to be forgiven. And this is what I can never get my hands around. Um, you know, so then did it happen? You know, because if there's nothing to forgive, did it even happen? Was my pain real or was it just a simulation and it never really was real? So I'm sort of not asking a direct question. I'm just sort of trying to come to an understanding of if you put meat on the bone and say, okay, someone in a deep underground military base is being tortured literally or in some ritual, uh, you know, at, you know, is there anything to forgive there? And is their pain real or it's a simulation? Yeah, I mean, yeah, they're really good questions, Steve. I mean, uh, is it real? Well, I suppose it's, it goes back to this thing of, of yeah, one's own experience intent it's 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 like the idea of of not thinking in terms of the physical but in terms of energy vibrations and everything's connected you know and it and maybe it's relative because if i can be so coarse or candid to say um when we eat meat uh we're partaking of an animal that is usually suffered horrific stuff as well but yet it doesn't affect us we go home and we pet our dog and we say we love animals, but yes, we partake in this, but we've blocked it out for some reason. Or the money that you use, the you know, the dollar, whatever currency. I'm sure there's a bit of blood in that too. So we're continually uh, the, the t-shirt, the t-shirt I'm wearing, I uh, guarantee it was sewn by a kid in a factory. Yeah, this sort of thing. So it's all around us, and it's how much we want to let in and see. Uh so the experience when someone's being tortured yeah they're experiencing that that's that's obviously hitting them at a very deep level their world because it's attacking their whole who they are who they think they are um and it becomes more horrific i suppose am i saying it yeah i think it's relative and that's what einstein said you know the general relative general theory of relativity just means that everything in the universe is relative to everything else and so so it's the experience. It depends on the mind construction, their perception of, of you're, dis you're torturing me, you're destroying my body. But if you come from the point, I'm, a, I'm purely energy, I'm a spiritual being, and I've been through many lives, I do this all the time. <laughs> you know, then it becomes a whole different experience depending on your perception of that. So I'm just taking a guess at that, but they're really good questions. Um, yeah, I mean, I think, you yeah, know, it's the whole thing at some level, there's nothing to forgive. So like karma, you know, karma is a belief system. So it's not entirely on topic, but I, it just dawned on me when, you know, that if if the people at the World Trade Center decided to be in the building that day and die a horrific, mm -hmm. you know, be murdered in a horrific way, uh, then, you know, I guess at some level, everything's agreed to, but is this just new age, you know, is the fact that we're saying this is a simulation, just another new age trap 
that's sort of where I'm going with it. You know, this is something that spins in my head. That's all. Okay. Well, you know, the simulation, or I just call it, you know, the manifest reality. I, it's just, I see it as a playground or, 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 or a backdrop of which we can start to uh, experience what it is to be human to know what God is or what the source is and to, and to bring that and to bring that experience back to the essence again. Gotcha. You know? Yeah. Maybe we'll do a show on that. <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> That's dark though. All right. Well, Grace, I'm going to give it to you. Thanks, Carl. Thanks, Steve. Thank you everyone. And thank you, Carl. My last is thing, a statement, I guess that I, have to keep remembering lately is the one that says our mind is the administrator of our reality and our body is the instrument for the full expression of that mind. I like that. <laughs> so yeah, lately I've, yeah. I've been telling myself that your mind is the administrator of your body because then it's really the union of your mind and your body. So thanks again and thank you for our audience if you like it share it and this is really a good warm-up for our future conversation again featuring our very own thank you carl any last statement from you words of wisdom information um yeah um yeah start to uh, start to align and discover your true self it's inwards the truth is not out there it's in there and go deep and you will connect with the cosmos and you will see through the charades that are going on in the world right now. That was it. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Carl.